Sarah Jane here. We are talking business, faith, family, and how to become the best possible version of yourself. Authentic, personal, and probably not politically correct, this is Legit Sarah Jane. That's right, people. This is the very first episode of Legit Sarah Jane, where you're going to get all the tips and tricks and tools you need to become the best possible version of yourself. But to do that, a lot of times we're going to have to talk about the things that are holding us back. And one of the things that has been really, really obvious to me lately, as well as to the people who are reaching out to me saying, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I know you've struggled with this. How do I deal with this? is anxiety. Whether it's social anxiety or generalized anxiety and panic attacks, we're going to talk about how I dealt with it for six years, how I was diagnosed, and what I've done to overcome it. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about how you can not only start to outgrow your anxiety because it is a learned disorder, which means that you can unlearn it, but how to take your power back and how to find your confidence again. Anxiety likes to break us down and likes to make us think that we can't trust our intuition. But I'm going to teach you ways that I've used to focus a different direction, to use our minds to overcome what's physically happening in our body. So before we get to that part, let's dig into what's physically happening, where is anxiety coming from, and what my story is, and how I came to the other side of it. Okay, so let's dig into anxiety here for a minute. The first thing we're going to talk about is what is anxiety and how does it actually affect us. I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a psychologist, I'm not a counselor, I'm not licensed in any of those fields, so everything that I say is from my own personal experience or what I've experienced alongside one of my close friends. So I'm only going to talk about the kinds of anxiety that I struggled with and that I have seen most common in the people that I do life with, and I'm going to speak totally about what worked for me. This may not work for you. It may not work for your friends, but I'm going to tell you my story. And if it works, great. I want to hear all about it. And if it doesn't work, let me know. Let's talk about what might work better for you. People are different. We're not created to all be the same. And that means that we're going to all react to things differently and everything isn't black and white. You can't just make everything you know, paint, paint right over everything like it's the same for every person. So keep that in mind as we talk about this and everything that we talk about on this podcast. I don't want you to think that I am somehow a psychologist or an expert in anxiety or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just telling you my story. So the two kinds of anxiety that I was diagnosed with, the first was generalized anxiety disorder, and the second was actually what's called a panic disorder. They're very different. So I'm going to go over what the symptoms are, and if it resonates with you, let me know. If this sounds like something you've been struggling with, let's talk about it. Let's break it down, and let's see what we can do to start changing your mindset. Now, I've mentioned this in the opening, and I'm going to mention it multiple times. Anxiety is a learned disorder. That means that you can unlearn it. You can teach yourself out of anxiety. You do not have to continue to live with it. But let's break down what it looks like so that we can start breaking down and unpacking all the ways that you can force yourself, teach yourself, and grow yourself out of anxiety and panic disorders. 
Okay, so generalized anxiety disorder, uh, based on what the definition is on the National Institute of Mental Health, is feeling restless, wound up, or on edge, easily fatigued, having difficulty concentrating and your mind going blank, being irritable, having muscle tension, difficulty controlling feelings of worry, having sleep problems such as difficulty falling or staying asleep, restlessness, or unsatisfying sleep. So let's talk about that for a second here. Okay, so for me, generalized anxiety based on the definition on the National Institute of Mental Health website sounds like a normal day. That sounds like adulting for those of us millennials who are doing our best to adult based on what we were given, the tools and skills that we were raised with, and you know the lifestyle that we are trying to figure out how to lead. Where I think they're missing a little bit is this last part where they talk about difficulty controlling feelings of worry. For me, my generalized anxiety disorder was just that. The problem came when I couldn't control my emotions, when I literally felt out of control. And that happened on a regular basis. Typically, when my generalized anxiety flared up, it was because of a trigger. Now, I am not a snowflake at all. I am a rough and tumble tomboy, used to being picked on by all the boys because they were my best friends and my brothers. Um, I am not a easily frightened person. I, I love roller coasters. I love pushing myself outside my comfort zone. So when this generalized anxiety came up, it was really, really a struggle for me because, I, first of all, I didn't know what it was for the first five years. For five years, I struggled with this stupid anxiety and no one could tell me what was going on. I went to a a gastroenterologist, which they are the people who um, do like endoscopies and colonoscopies and check out how your digestive tract is going. And I definitely had a camera in my stomach. They could not figure out what was going wrong. They kept telling me, oh, there's definitely irritation in there, but you don't have any ulcers. I'm not sure what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And for five years, no doctors could give me any clues on what was going on. And definitely no one could help me with managing the symptoms. It wasn't until I was in my doctor's office on the floor, on the floor in a doctor's office. Who does that? I was in the fetal position, hysterically crying when my nurse practitioner walked in. She sat down on the floor with me. And I kid you not, I love this woman to this day because she has always been that person who will like get down with you in the middle of what you're going through. And she will figure out what's going on and do everything she can to make it better. Um, so sad not to have that nurse practitioner in my life anymore now that we moved to Chattanooga. But I will always respect her. So she sits down on the floor with me, mid panic attack, looks me in the eye and says, oh my God, I figured it out. Instantly, I stopped crying. I was like, you figured what out? And she's like, yep, for sure. You have an anxiety disorder. You have really bad generalized anxiety. And right now you're in the middle of a panic attack. And I'm like, oh, okay. Mixed emotions here. Um, You just diagnosed me with something that sounds horrifying. Uh, but I've also been living with it with no name for it and nothing I can do about it for five years. So high five. I already feel better just knowing what it is. 
So my panic disorder, it popped up a little bit later. And let's talk quickly about what the panic disorder is so that when I tell you more about my story, you can just, I can just overlap back and forth and you know what symptoms I'm talking about. So panic disorder is different than regular anxiety. Remember anxiety we talked about where it's difficult controlling your feelings of worry. You worry about things that are out of your control, um, things that you never have a say in, like like I would have I would have anxiety about the sky being blue. Like, oh, I don't know if I have the right jacket. It it might rain today. It might this, it might that. And then I would like totally overthink and overanalyze and over freak out about stuff that I couldn't control. And instead of just grabbing a rain jacket and being overly prepared, which I also did because I have a mom complex, I would just freak out. And if I freaked out enough, it would push me to this point of panic. And a panic attack is heart palpitations, a pounding heartbeat, or an accelerated heart rate, sweating, trembling or shaking, sensations of shortness of breath, smothering or choking, feelings of impending doom. That one kicked my butt on a regular basis and feelings of being out of control. So as we're talking about panic disorders and how they relate to generalized anxiety, Let's talk about how a panic disorder layered on top of anxiety can make your life crumble. So I had social anxiety. Um, For those of you who don't know what that means, it's basically anytime I was out in public, if I was in a crowd of people, if I was, especially for me, especially this happened almost every single time. I grew up a really, really skinny kid. My metabolism is off the charts. I actually lose weight when I sit on the couch and eat brownies and chips. And I kid you not, it is not a good thing. For those of you who struggle with your weight, I apologize. Please do not think that I am taking this for granted. I am so grateful for my metabolism, but please also realize that the grass is not always greener. I spent my entire life being called stick and twig. I was unattractive. I was too skinny. In fact, um, we had, when I lived in Virginia in middle school, we had what we'll call season passes to Washington, D.C. We spent a lot of time in D.C. and I loved it. And so we got museum passes and they had my picture on them. And in middle school, I was this punk rock kid who wore a lot of dark colors and had like the typical, you know, 90s grunge stringy hair. And I was crazy skinny. And I do not mean this as a joke. I mean this sincerely. That picture on that ID looks like I just stepped out of Auschwitz. I am not kidding you. I was way, way, way too skinny. And nothing we did would help me put weight on. We didn't know at the time that I actually have, um, I can't eat gluten and I am lactose intolerant. So it wasn't until actually this year that I found out I was lactose intolerant. And just a few years ago that I learned about my aversion to gluten. So I ate normal people food. In the 90s, we all did. Our parents fed us healthy food. I ate tons of fruits and vegetables and protein, but I also liked pizza and I also liked junk food because, hi, I'm a middle schooler and that didn't stop. I still to this day 
can't make a good batch of brownies because I eat way too much of the batter before I put it in the oven. I'm a fat kid at heart, but I struggled with my weight. And because I was so skinny, anytime I went out to eat with people, I I kid you not, I'm like, it was really hard. Every single time I ate food in public with people I didn't know, at least one person would say something about my eating habits. If I wasn't hungry, they would say, oh, that's why you stay so skinny. You don't eat anything. They would ask if I was anorexic. They would, if I ate a lot of food, they would ask if I was bulimic. Asking a 12-year-old if they're anorexic or bulimic is traumatizing people. Let me tell you, stop being assholes. Like, don't sit in the middle of a dinner table with 10 other people your age and call somebody out from across the table. It sucks, okay? Whether it's because they're big or because they're small or because you think you just need to interject yourself in their life, don't be that person. If you're genuinely concerned about someone, love them first and then pull them aside privately and have that conversation. Let it come from a place of love because I kid you not, is traumatizing. So because someone always had something to say about my eating habits whenever I was out at a restaurant, it became a trigger for me. I got to the point where I would start building up anxiety long before a meal. Driving in the car on on my way to a restaurant was when my heart would start beating and uh, my chest would feel like it was actually throbbing. I would become achy trying to control it uh, by straining my muscles. I felt like everybody could hear my heart beating because it was so loud in my head. I would start sweating. My fight or flight would kick in. And that's where things really take a turn for those of us with anxiety and uh, panic disorders. That fight or flight is ingrained in us. It's actually in our DNA. And so it's sort of hard to control something that is a natural, like a force of nature. But take heart because I am proof that you can overcome anxiety and you can thrive after anxiety. So a lot of times, like I said, eating in restaurants would be a trigger. I would get to the point where I could literally sit at the table and I would not be listening to anything anyone is saying. Uh, To be honest with you, there was no point in me being there because I wasn't interacting with people. I was literally just trying to breathe. I would spend the entire meal waiting for the check and typically... I would go ahead and pay the check, especially if it was just one or two other people, because the stress of trying to decide the money side of things made everything even worse. It was easier for me to just spend my hard-earned money than it was to have the confrontation, which isn't really a confrontation if you are out with your friends. This should be easy. We should be able to say, hey, I got the last one, you get this one, or let's split it evenly. But for whatever reason, that was always a sore topic for me, and so it was easier for me to just pay. And then I would start to resent my friends because they let me pay all the time. Um, And I would also resent them because they kept inviting me to restaurants, including new people, and people just didn't understand how stressful that was for me. My anxiety developed over time. Like I said, I struggled with it for five years before I was diagnosed. Um, Once I was diagnosed, everything changed because I had a name for it. 
the thing about anxiety and panic is that feel feeling of impending doom. When you don't know, when you don't have a name for what, the way that you're feeling, when you can't actually put words to the emotions that your body is impacted by, it's extremely detrimental and it starts to actually compound the problem. So now you have anxiety about eating in front of somebody. Somebody's made a bitch ass comment and made you feel like crap about yourself because yet again, you're eating too much or too little and everybody thinks it's their place to interject. Mind you, this is usually somebody I had met five or 10 minutes beforehand. So thanks jerks. Anyway, so your anxiety is already mounting. That adrenaline is already flowing through your body. And then on top of it, you add in the, what am I anxious about? Is it something that I ate? Which in my case, we now know it really was something that I ate um, that was typically a significant trigger. And it may not have been that meal at that restaurant. It was probably the meal that I had before or the snack that I ate while I was getting ready, not what I was eating at the restaurant. But compounding things, now I'm wondering, what is wrong with me? I constantly wondered if I was dying, constantly. Like it was this horrible fear where you literally feel like you're dying, like your body isn't working the way that God created it to. It's not doing what it's supposed to. There must be something tragically wrong. And then you start to say, well, what is wrong? Or you go on the other side and say, I give up. I I can't fight this anymore. I'm dying. I'm just going to let it happen. And you curl up into the fetal position and you lay there and sob like a child for ever. It feels like forever. You curl up in this disgusting ball where there is snot running from your nose into your mouth, tears all over your face to the point that you are physically wet. Your chest is is wet with tears. Your shirt has been used as a snot and tear rag to the point that you know that you're going to wake up the next morning and your eyes are going to be swollen. Everyone's going to be curious what the hell happened to you the day before, which by the way, compensates things even more because once you start to come out of the anxiety, you start to freak out about who's going to know that I was in the fetal position, snot running down my face, crying like a child. And that makes it worse. So there are so many layers to this. This is such a a problem for so many people. So let's dig into what I did to shift my mindset to better understand anxiety and how it works with our body, as well as some tips and tricks that I used to really break down the social stigma, the personal stigma, as well as what I did to really truly beat the heck out of anxiety to the point that I now only have what I call teaser pain. The only way I can describe teaser pain is it's that little butterfly in your stomach, not like when your crush walks by in middle school, but that butterfly in your stomach or that little gut feeling that comes and you know, for those of you with anxiety, you know this feeling. It's that if I don't do something about this right now, things are gonna get out of hand feeling. As soon as I get that, I have tricks and tips that I will share with you that I do instantly in that moment that make that fear go away. That anxiety dissipates and 
I can feel in control again. So let's talk about what those are. The first thing I want to tell you is anxiety is a normal part of life. You are supposed to have these rushes of adrenaline in your life, but they are not supposed to happen every day. They are not supposed to even happen on a regular basis. Some people may go their entire lives without ever feeling anxious, and that's okay. But for those of us on the other end of the spectrum, anxiety is debilitating. It can directly impact our personal relationships for sure. I cannot tell you how many friendships were built or destroyed on my anxiety. My very best friend in the entire world, Rachel, who I call Ray, who I also call my sister, because as you all know, I am an only child, but Rachel lived with my family for a period of time. We spent every waking moment together for years and years and years, and she knows everything. When I say best friend slash sister, this is the person I talk to when I'm pooping, okay? We all have that person. Rachel is mine. Rachel was my rock with my anxiety. She didn't know what was going on either. And actually, because it's a learned disorder, I did the worst thing a friend could ever do. And I shared and she actually learned anxiety from watching me go through it and had to get on the other side of it herself. So I'm sorry, Rachel. I love you. You are the best thing in the world. And I am so sorry I gave you anxiety. But she was my rock. She was the person, we actually called each other our security, like a security blanket, not like a bouncer, like our security blanket to the point that if we were in a club or at a bar or at a concert and one or the other of us got anxiety, all we would have to say is, I need to leave. And the other person without question selflessly said, okay, let's go. There was never a, oh, I'm talking to this boy, or I want to do this, or we came all this way. It was, I get it, we're leaving right now. Because of having her as my security blanket, I was able to sort of control my anxiety. It still would come, and I still had to leave where I was. I still had to flee, or that fight or flight part kicked in, and I would fly away. But I didn't have to do it alone. And that kept the panic side of things at bay. It kept things from getting even more out of control. All right, so let's talk about anxiety and what is actually happening in your body and why having a security blanket or a security person can be helpful for managing it emotionally. So like I've said, anxiety is a learned disorder. If you imagine that you are driving to work and you drive to work the exact same way every single morning and every day you stop at the same stop sign and for the first, we'll say 150 days of driving to work and stopping at this stop sign, nothing happens. People stop, people go. You stop, you go. But then on that 151st day, as you're driving to work and you get to that stop sign, a dog runs out in front of you before you reach the stop sign and you have to slam on your brakes. All of a sudden, your body releases an enormous amount of adrenaline from your adrenal gland, which sits on top of your liver. And it flushes this chemical through your body that is created for moments of extreme survival. For extreme survival people your body is not supposed to deal with this kind of adrenaline pump on a regular basis it's for extreme survival 
God put that chemical in our body, put it in a teeny tiny little gland in your body because you don't need it all the time. It's there for an emergency. It's there for, you know, back in the day, if you were being attacked by a lion, right? We're talking David and Goliath stuff right here. We are talking about uh, falling in a river full of alligators and needing to swim to safety. We are talking about extreme measures, not eating a salad in front of judgmental bitches, okay? This should not be something that your body has to tolerate on a regular basis. And as you can imagine, if it's created and part of your body for extreme survival, it's probably not good for you. It's probably not something that's super healthy or we would have it more often. So what happens is when this adrenaline gets released into your bloodstream, it can actually only flow through hollow tubes, which means things like your veins, your stomach, your bladder. It cannot flow through the filters. It gets held up by the filters like your liver, which is why if it's in your veins and it's in your stomach and it's in your bladder and it's in there doing a ton of damage, it actually can be super hard on your physical body. Not just your emotional state, but physically it's hard on your body. So for me, the symptoms that I typically came up with was, like I said, the beating heart, right? So this adrenaline is flushing through my veins, rushing to my heart and causing my heart to go into like overdrive. It's trying to protect me from some outside force while slowly destroying my heart on the inside. It also flows through my stomach and I get this really intense pain. It's, it's hard to describe because the only thing I can say has been so twisted by the way that we misuse language these days. So the only way I can describe it is my stomach physically hurts. Not I have a stomach ache or I feel nauseated, although I do that too. But the first step is typically that my stomach physically hurts. The inside of my stomach feels like someone is taking a cheese grater to it and it hurts. It's painful and I want to cry. The next thing that comes is I feel like I have to pee nonstop. Not like a UTI where like I just peed and I feel like I have to pee again. It's like, I think that adrenaline is somehow a diuretic because I will go to the bathroom, which is also part of the flight mechanism because you get to escape the situation temporarily. Um, But I will like excuse myself and go straight to the bathroom and then I'll sit on the toilet for five to 10 minutes and I will just like pee a little bit. And then I'll start to feel better. And then I have to pee again. And all the while, my brain is moving a million miles a second. I'm starting to get really emotionally tied into the physical things that I'm feeling. And I'm locked up in this little cubicle bathroom in a public place, trying not to let the panic kick in because I don't want to cry in public. So after that happens for a little while, if I can't control it, if I haven't kicked my anxiety back to where it belongs and gotten my physical body back in shape, then the panic kicks in. And that's where I feel like I have to throw up. I feel like throwing up is going to somehow make everything better. Like 
whatever is making my stomach sick is in there and I have to get it out. And from what I understand, medically speaking, that's accurate because your body can't actually process adrenaline. It's sort of like that concept where when you get a nosebleed, they used to tell you to tip your head back, but it was making everybody throw out blood and they didn't realize that your stomach can't break down blood. So like this whole idea of like being a vampire sounds terrible because you'd never get any satisfaction. You would literally like suck somebody's blood and then throw it back up. Anyway, uh, your body can't process adrenaline. You have to like flush it out. So that's what's happening when you're peeing nonstop and you feel like you have to throw up. Your body is literally saying, okay, you released all this adrenaline and I didn't actually need it, so I'm done with it. So let's get rid of it now. Let's flush it out any way we can. And while that makes sense when you're talking medically, um, it's super duper duper sucks when you're trying to have a nice dinner with your friends in public. So if we're gonna talk about what else is happening medically, let's talk about how we can counteract that with our minds. Like I said, some of the first things you need to remember is one, your body was built to deal with adrenaline and anxiety. The problem is we have let it get out of control because we've learned or our our subconscious has actually learned how to prepare our bodies for a threat. And what I mean by that is when you were driving to that stop sign, how many times of those first 150 days Could you actually look back right now and say, I remember to a T every detail of what happened between my house and that stop sign. 150 days in a row, I remember exactly what happened. But you can't because we're not built that way. We are overwhelmed and over busy and over stressed in society these days. And so more often than not, our muscle memory kicks in when we're driving, especially if we know where we're going. And we get tied into focusing more on what we're listening to on the radio or what we have to do at work that day or all of the stressful, unmovable details of our lives that we have to be under constant awareness of, whether it be laundry, dishes, groceries, what we're making for dinner, who's coming for dinner, kids to school, school field trips, school books. Oh crap, they forgot their backpack. Now I have to turn around and I'm going to be late for work. I'm wearing two different shoes and my life is essentially falling apart. You know, either way, no matter what you're thinking about when you're driving, your subconscious is taking over for you. That muscle memory is kicking in. You know how to get to work. You know what's gonna happen, there's a stop sign coming up, and so you do it instinctually. You don't have to try, you don't have to focus on it, and you don't have to give it a lot of attention. But the second that dog runs out in front of you, and you slam on the brakes, and you release that adrenaline, you automatically, your brain says, oh shit, I wasn't paying attention, that could have been really bad, Thankfully, nothing bad happened. Thankfully, that dog is now going to go home with us and live with us forever. So to keep things like this from happening again or from being worse, your mind sets your body up for success by releasing adrenaline, just a little bit of extra adrenaline, anytime it sees a threat. And when I tell you a threat, I'm saying not only when your mind sees that stop sign, but also when your mind sees anything that looks like that stop sign. We can't control what our mind thinks of when it sees something. 
but we can sort of understand why it does that. You know that that same dog isn't going to run out in front of your car every time you go to that stop sign, but your body wants to be prepared just in case. And so the next time you pull up to that stop sign or another stop sign that looks similar or another situation that feels the same, maybe you're listening to the same radio show, maybe it's because you happen to be taking a bite of your bagel and cream cheese right when that dog ran out in front of you, maybe it's the person you were thinking about at the moment that happened, and maybe it has nothing to do with the stop sign, but any of those factors can be a trigger. And so the second that your mind sees or feels something similar, it's going to start releasing a little bit of adrenaline instead of sending that whole big rush. This is where the problem happens. When your body is created to handle a big rush of adrenaline and use it up, it literally burns it up when you're in your fight or flight. When you're fighting for your life, you're burning adrenaline for energy and it gets used up. When you are (laughs) using adrenaline unnecessarily for a random drive to the mall or conversation with your friend or eating in front of people you don't know, it's a complete waste and it doesn't actually burn off. It just sits in your veins, in your heart, in your stomach, in your bladder and does damage. And so you have to figure out ways to First of all, stop that adrenaline flow from even coming in the first place, as well as if it does, if a little bit leaks out, if your subconscious is preparing you for something unnecessarily, you have to know how to burn off what's out of there and stop it from continuing to flow. The way we're going to do that is by building our confidence in ourselves and in our minds, which is going to lead us into our second segment. We're talking all about anxiety today, but I want to talk about what we can do to mentally prepare ourselves to kick anxiety's butt. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what anxiety is, how it works with your physical body. Now let's talk about how your brain is smarter than your body. Let's talk about the fact that there are people in the world who can literally use their minds to do incredible things without adrenaline. I'm not just talking about people who can like literally break a window or lift a car or any of those other amazing strongman feats that you hear about when there's a car accident or someone who rescued someone from drowning or any of that stuff. That stuff is amazing, but it uses adrenaline. You have to burn adrenaline to do it. And we know for those of us who struggle with anxiety and panic disorders, adrenaline is a bad guy. He is our arch nemesis right now, and we may figure out how to be friends later, but we're going to have to go superstar on them, and we're going to kick anxiety and panic and adrenaline's ass for a while. We cannot be friends. We need some serious separation, and if that means putting ourselves in timeout, that's what we're going to do. So let me tell you, first and foremost, your body is created to handle adrenaline and anxiety is a normal part of life. Where things get out of control is when we let things get out of control. So for me, the most important thing that I realized is I don't have to be in control all the time. That feeling of being out of control was overwhelming. It was consuming and it 
caused my anxiety to spike and for me to spiral out of control to the point that I felt like I needed to control whatever I could. So often we as human beings freak out when we can't control things and not in like just a control freak manner. Like I have to literally have my thumb in everything and be the boss and be a controlling pain in the Not like that. I mean, like when we aren't getting our way at work, when our kids aren't listening, when we're fighting with our spouse, uh, when people are are sick, um, when the car's breaking down, when it just feels like everything's happening at once, we start to feel out of control. We start to feel like maybe we can't do this. And so for me, I would start seeing signs and it was years before I started to realize and be aware of what those signs were. But when I started to feel out of control, I would control what I could. I would start organizing the shampoo and conditioner bottles in the shower so that the labels faced out. I would reorganize my closet. I would clean out the car or organize my desk. Organization and structure helped me to feel more in control. And to this day, I feel like I'm flailing a little bit or sometimes even drowning if things aren't put where they belong or if I don't feel settled somewhere. Sam and I have been struggling with that a lot in the past six months because for those of you who don't know, we woke up one day and decided that we were going to leave Palm Beach County where he had been since the day he was born and where I had been since I was 12 years old. So we both had 20, 30 years in this same town where we knew everyone, our entire families and everybody who mattered to us, minus, you know, like our top five people who already were smart enough to move away. They all were there and we were doing life with people we loved every day and yet still felt like something was missing. So we picked up and over the course of six weeks, decided we wanted to move somewhere, chose Chattanooga, bought a house, packed up our entire lives, said goodbye to everyone we knew, and moved to our beautiful house here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Since then, (laughs) we also expected that we would have um, quite a bit of downtime, that we'd have time to settle into our new house and work on our careers and our marriage and grow into these amazing, successful people. Don't get me wrong. We're doing all of that, except for the settling into our house part. We have been back to Florida, one or both of us, for a minimum of 10 days once a month in the last six months that we've moved away. And we've had visitors, which we love having company, um, but we've had company for another 10 days a month since we've moved, which leaves about 10 days a month for us to unpack all our boxes, figure out where to hang pictures, try and decide if this is even the right house for us because we definitely rushed into this house. We love our house. We love our neighborhood. We love our neighborhood. We love the area that we decided to live in, but there's no rental market here. So we were sort of forced to buy a house really quickly. Like I said, we did it all in six weeks. Oh, and we got married a week after we moved here. All that to say, uh, the stress levels have been high and the lack of schedule, the lack of settling and the feeling like we're never gonna get unpacked has really taken over 
in the past few months. And I have been feeling the need to nest really significantly. So I've made that a priority. I have turned off the TV, I've set down my books, and I've started just moving things around and finding homes for things and places for things to go. I painted half of my studio, the the half that you guys are going to see. And while I'm recording, I'm literally looking at bare wood at a bare wood desk that totally works functionally, but isn't all that pretty. And you know what? That's enough. Me doing enough so that I can move on has been a huge blessing. It's taken a lot of pressure off of me and a lot of stress out of the back of my mind. Uh, That back burner of mine tends to pile up with a bunch of stuff. All that to say, my anxiety is best controlled when I feel like I have some semblance of order in my life. I thrive in structure, I thrive with a schedule, and I thrive when my environment is organized. Also, not having to be in control, like I said, was a huge part of it. Giving up everything else, giving up things that I can't control or shouldn't control was huge. Realizing that I am not in control of every aspect of my life and remembering how incredibly important my faith is has been huge. Never once has my faith wavered when I've been in a panic or struggling with my anxiety. I never once questioned what was what God was doing. Okay, that's a that's a bold face lie. I questioned what he was doing. I didn't question that there was a purpose. I always knew that no matter what I was going through, no matter how bad it was, or the fact that I felt like I was literally dying, never once did I question that there was something coming from it. In the moment, it feels like all hope is gone, like there is nothing that will ever pull you out of it. But somehow you always come out. Somehow you always get to the other side and I have chosen to be hyper vigilant and hyper aware of every negative thing that happens in my life. I, I started analyzing those things, but in a healthy way. Why am I having this anxiety? Is it really about the salad that I ordered? Is it really about the comment that they made? Or is it about some insecurity that I'm struggling with or something I haven't dealt with that's coming up when people are saying these things or when I'm in these situations. And so once I realized that I could give over control to God and say, okay, God, you got this. What are you teaching me through this? And open my mind to the fact that I could learn from it, that I could truly turn something scary and terrifying and that breaks me down as a person into something that could make me better and stronger gave me a lot of power. It really made me feel like if I partnered with God on this, that I could I could come out better than I went in, that I could become a better version of myself, which you all know is my goal in life. I don't care if I have a day where I completely ruin everything, where it feels like I have made every mistake in the world, those days are going to come for all of us. But I know that if at the end of that, I go to bed saying, what could I have done differently? What am I never going to let happen again? Who do I need to apologize to? What do I need to change in my life so that I can become the best possible version of myself? Then I believe that my life 
matters, then I believe that I am doing what I was put on this earth to do. Even if I never impact anybody else in the process, I believe that if I want to be a good Christian and I want to show Jesus and show God in my life, the best way that I can do that is by partnering with him on this journey and allowing him to teach me through the negative stuff that's going to happen. The devil's not going anywhere. The devil is going to attack us and he's going to try and take on as much as he can in our lives and take over as much of our power as he can. But what we know through our faith is that he has no power greater than our God. And I have no power greater than my God. I am not doing any of this on my own. I am doing every bit of it through my faith, through me saying, and this is, this is the third thing that you need to know. You don't have to be in control. It's okay to give up your control to God and control what you can and then let it go. But the other thing that you need to know is I rebuke demons. I know right now that I sound like an insane person, but it's biblical, y'all. And I can prove to you that it works. I have seen in my life Time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, when I have simply said, even in a whisper or a hushed tone, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke all demons. You have no power here. The thing about demons is they are the devil's army. They are out for blood. They want to seek you out. They want to kill you and they want to destroy your joy. They want to take your life from you. They want the devil to win. But guess what? We know in the Bible it says demons cannot stand in the name of Jesus. They literally have to, they have to leave. They have to fly away, run away, whatever it is. They cannot stand in the name of Jesus. So if I call on Jesus, if I say his name out loud, All of a sudden, that spiritual warfare that's happening above us and around us all the time, those demons have to leave. They don't get a choice. It's part of the rules. It's like a magnet pulls them away and they have no power. So I rebuke demons. I do. The second I start to feel that teaser pain, the second I start to feel fear, I rebuke the demon of fear. Because guess what? Newsflash, you guys. Fear is not from the Lord. Fear does not come from God. Fear comes from the devil. It is a tool used by the devil to break us down. And the second you give in to fear, you're allowing the devil to take over some of your power. Take your power back by calling on the powerful. Pull your strength from the strength that God gives you and say, this is bullshit. I'm not tolerating it anymore. I am stronger than this. I am smarter than this. This is a physical release of adrenaline into my body as a way to protect me from imminent danger. So instead of letting the the power juice, we'll call the adrenaline our power juice, right? It's our super juice that actually is supposed to help us fight like warriors. It's supposed to give us our power. And instead, when we have panic and anxiety disorders, it becomes our kryptonite. 
So take your power back. Stop letting it control you. Stop letting it take over and start turning it around and saying, oh yeah, well my power juice just filled up and my body's ready to rock. Who wants to fight? Devil, you want to fight me? Because I got the power of Jesus flowing through my veins right now. It happened automatically because God created me in his image, which means that this adrenaline flow is the power of God. And I can use it for good or for evil. And I'm choosing right now to use it for good. I am going to use it to show people that mind is stronger than my fear. I'm going to use it to show people that my faith is stronger than my physical body. That I can control my mind in a way that glorifies God by saying, devil, get, get back. You're not welcome here. You're doing this. You're doing this as a way to control me. And I will not be controlled by the devil or by the fear of social embarrassment or any of the things that we let compound that anxiety that initially flows through us. Instead, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to take my power back. I'm going to say, screw you, devil. And I'm going to go on with my life knowing that I am stronger because I resisted the temptation to get sucked into that fear, to get destroyed by that adrenaline flow and that anxiety and panic that is literally all it does is it wastes our time. The stress, the fear that you feel, while it is real, It's not a valid fear. It is not a valid rush of adrenaline because it's your body's way of preparing for something that never happened. Goliath didn't step into that cave right after that adrenaline flow came. You ate a salad in front of people with bad attitudes, if you're me. So take your power back. Remember that your power comes from God and work with him. Talk to him about it. Pray about it. Pray for his strength and his peace and his comfort to be stronger than the fear that the devil is allowing to come into your life. And remember that you are a strong, powerful person because you were created in God's image. You need him. Call on him. And he will give you the strength to learn how to get through this crap. And when you get on the other side, not only will your relationship with the Lord be stronger, but your relationship with yourself, your confidence in yourself and your ability to handle stressful situations, whether they are right or wrong, will be empowering. And you will quickly learn to overcome this panic and anxiety that has started to take over your life. And you will feel strong again. And you will feel stronger than you ever have. Because you are. Because just like going to the gym, you are working out your emotional and mental muscles repeatedly in times of extreme stress. For those who CrossFit and Hue, this should be easy for you. Just wrap your brain around it. You're going to call on the Lord. You're going to control what you can by creating a healthy environment for yourself. And then you're going to let the rest go. You're going to realize that things are not always valid and that the way that you're looking at a situation isn't always the way that it is. And then you're going to be better for it. You're going to be strong again and you won't have to struggle 
with anxiety. It's not going anywhere because it's supposed to be there. You're supposed to be able to to rescue a baby from a sinking car. You're supposed to be able to run really fast. It's never going to happen for me, but some people are supposed to run really fast and they need that adrenaline to do it. But your anxiety will not be a struggle because you will learn how to control it. You will learn where your power lies and you will learn how to call on that power as you need it. As always, I hope that you love this podcast. Please subscribe. I'm going to bring you great stuff all the time. We're going to talk about real things that really impact people's lives and hold them back from becoming the best possible versions of themselves. I hope that you love this. I hope that you love it enough that you share it with other people in your life, that you want the people that you do life with to be the best possible versions of themselves, just like you're becoming the best possible version of yourself. And I want you to know that I need to hear from you. I want your comments. I want your feedback. I ask that you be polite. If you don't agree with something I'm saying or you want to fact check me, please do that. But let's do that privately. Let's talk about that in a DM or in a private email, which you can always reach me through my website, www.sarahjanegates.com. That's S-A-R-A-J-A-N-E-G-A-T-E-S.com. You can always contact me through the contact me page right there to talk more or comment here right below. I want your feedback. I want to learn from you. I want to expand my knowledge. And the only way I can do that is by having real conversations with real people who really care. So let's talk, share this, spread the word, support me if you will. I love you all. Every single one of you has an amazing, beautiful place in this world. And I want to know your story. So fill me in, keep in touch, and I hope you're back next episode.